0: everyone and welcome to episode 39 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, who is always here and today, uh, sadly for some of you, I'm sure it is just me on this fine Sunday evening. Uh, the Braves have not been terribly busy over the last seven days, and while there is some stuff to talk about, uh, no guests on today's show will probably be a little bit shorter than usual, um, but the GM meetings are coming up uh, this this next week, so I expect we'll have some more new stuff to hit, a couple of uh, quality guests line up in the very near future that we already have scheduled, so don't turn it off just yet. We have plenty to talk about, and I want to kick, kick things off by talking about the World Series just a little bit. Uh, obviously, if you have not been asleep for the last week or so, you would know that the, that the Chicago Cubs are the World Series champions for 2016. It was a phenomenal series that went seven games. It was, it was great for baseball, in my opinion. Easily one of the biggest sporting events of my lifetime, uh, given that the fact that the Cubs broke their 100-plus year drought of World series, between World Series titles. And Game 7 was certainly worthy of the hype. I'm extremely happy for the Cubs. As someone who's a long-suffering sports fan in a number of ways, being an Atlanta sports fan across the board, uh, not exactly the longest, richest history of, the ultimate success, so always sympathize with fan bases who have been starved for that success, and the Cubs certainly qualify by that provision. Uh, also, I thought it was very interesting that, that baseball actually out, ended up outrating football on the television side a couple of times during that series, which is. Pretty crazy because football is certainly king in America. So knowing that the baseball was kind of uh, you know we always make fun of baseball being a dying sport instead of how silly that narrative is. But it was nice to see the national you know the national attention captured by a team like the Cubs. And while some of it I'm sure it was some of it was Cubs driven, the fact that the storyline was just so perfect, it was good to see baseball in that positive light. Which uh, is, you know, that's kind of all, all I want to talk about on that particular widespread subject. But we did get a question that I wanted to answer this week about the Cubs and how that how their sort of their sort of success under Dio Epstein uh, sort of rubs off on the Braves and kind of what they're doing rebuild-wise. The question comes from Roger Wells, and he asks, It would be interesting to discuss the Cubs rebuild versus the Braves rebuild and the merits of focusing on developing young hitters versus young pitchers. Uh, this is obviously a question that I've probably got more than once, but that was the one that I chose. But the Cubs um, are very, very young. They have three top ten picks of their own in Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, and Kyle Schwarber uh, that were all in their lineup for the World Series. Granted, Schwarber missed most of the season with injury, but um, three top ten of their own picks. They also added a couple of uh, big-ticket free agents in Jason Hayward and Ben Zobrist. To the team, and they also have a guy they traded and paid a hefty price for, an Addison Russell, who was once a, a high draft pick as well. So the Cubs. You know, it's a loaded lineup. You know, Anthony Rizzo is once a top prospect that they traded for when, his, uh, when a little bit of the shine was off of him. So, But you can see that this is a team built on hitting, young hitting. Uh, they do have quality pitching um, with Jake Arrieta, John Lester, Kyle Hendricks, etc., John Lackey, but uh, all of the pitching was either uh, acquired via via trade or via big-ticket free agent signing. You know, John Lester and John Lackey were both uh, guys who were uh, certainly paid hefty prices for. Um, and of course, they stumbled into the gem with Arietta. Uh, Arietta was kind of bailed on too quickly in Baltimore and ended up being a phenomenal pitcher. Um, but And the Cubs also have a, a serious payroll advantage on the Braves, which is really the biggest difference for me. Between the two is that the Cubs have the flexibility to miss on guys. It looks like they probably missed on Jorge Soler. The fact that Hayward did ha- probably had his worst season of his career this year and the Cubs still won the World Series, that kind of speaks to the fact that you can have their highest paid player um, kind of flame out a little bit. You know, Hayward still brings a lot to the table defensively with his glove and his base running, but at the plate, he was largely lost throughout the season by his standards and they were still able to win the World Series. I understand the com- the comparisons between the Braves' rebuild and teams like Chicago and Houston especially, but the Braves are prioritizing pitching on a higher level than both those teams. I think part of that is because the Braves don't have a huge payroll and probably won't under, under the uh, ownership of Liberty Media. You know, I think it's going to go up a little bit. as SunTrust Park uh, brings some extra revenue, but uh, the the more cost conscious way to build a roster is to go with the way the Braves are going because free agency uh, has gotten it's kind of gotten out of control with pitching. And I think you know John Capuano has talked about that several times. Uh, just the going out in the market and really getting high level starting pitching is something that really is kind of unattainable. Um, it's it's almost the same thing for the bats, but there are more there are just more of them available every every year than there are pitchers. For instance, you know this this. Pitch Pitching class in 2016-2017 The offseason is just a disaster The number one pitcher is Rich Hill And that's you know that's not a guy you want as your number one uh, Option in the rotation So I get it from that standpoint I don't love it that the Braves were putting all their eggs In this pitching basket, but it does make sense to me Given the fact that they don't have So much payroll flexibility, whereas the Cubs Have been willing and able to spend Even, even when they were bad, they were spending money And you know, with Theo they, did, they, did a, they obviously did a phenomenal job with Theo And Jed Hoyer and those guys but um, And they push all the right buttons, made some made some quality draft picks. You know, they definitely get credit. The organization gets credit for drafting Chris Bryant and for drafting Kyle Schwarber and Javier Bias. But they also have the money to go out and get John Lester and they have the Money to go spend real money on John Lackey as a four starter, so that, that kind of stuff matters. They do, they did get to uh, uncover some gems, but in the end, uh, I, I see the question and the, and the comparison between the two. But the Braves are kind of doing things a little bit differently, almost out of necessity. And we'll see if uh, Copy's plan ends up working. And uh, you know, some of these guys are going to start getting closer and closer to the minor leagues. We'll know. I mean, to the major leagues, I should say, I think we'll know more in the near future once some of those guys arrive and potentially are even traded. I think uh, eventually, you know, but whether it be this offseason or during, during the season or next year, some of these pitching prospects that a lot of Braves fans are falling in love with are going to have to be dealt. It's just kind of the way it is. There's only so many spots in the major league rotation, and you want to start selling on some of these guys um, before they get to the point where they won't be sellable. So, uh, you know, I, a couple of packages would not, would not surprise me this offseason, and uh, we'll see a lot more about the prospect haul that the Braves have acquired in the very near future. Um, with that in mind, uh, actually a member of the Cubs it was in the news on Sunday afternoon and evening. Um, Jason Hamill was uh, not cut by the Cubs, but he had, a, he had his team option declined by the Cubs on Sunday evening. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Hamill is a 34-year-old right-handed pitcher, that has a sub-4 ERA in three straight seasons uh, with pretty solid peripherals. Nothing spectacular for Hamill, but um, he the Cubs had a $12 million option on him that they declined. That actually surprised me a pretty decent amount because that's not that much on the on, on a one-year deal, and they had to, also had to pay a $2 million buyout. So essentially, they're saving $10 million by not bringing back Hamill. That causes people to speculate that the Cubs ha- might have a trade in the works in the near future for a starting pitcher. But on the Brave side, there's a lot of talk about Hamill as a potential target for the Braves already in the last couple of hours since that news broke, I think he vaults uh, to the head of the class among free agent starters um, alongside with alongside Rich Hill. You know Hill is the one guy who is kind of the consensus at the top of this market, but Hill's I think 36 years old and a guy who's really battled a lot of injury concerns and kind of fell out you know fell out of favor for a number of years before before his re- most recent resurgence. Uh, Hill is a more volatile pitcher, and probably a higher upside, of course, but Hamill's much much safer and I think kind of falls more into line with what the Braves would be looking for with the uh, with, with a with a potential free agent signing this offseason. Again, uh, there's going to be a lot of bidding for Hamill given the fact that, that the market is so low on starting pitching, but uh, that's a guy who could really be in the, in the sights of copy. I saw a um, friend of the program, Grant McCauley, already speculating that he could be at the top of the head, at the top of the class, and Grant's a guy who's plugged in for the with the Braves kind of around the team uh, more than most. So I put some stock into that, and we'll see. We'll see if Hamill becomes a target and what kind of money he can command. If you can get him on a short, you know, two or three-year contract um, for less than twenty million dollars a year, that's something that I would certainly consider doing. It might be an overpay if you have to go past that fifteen million-dollar a year mark or so. But uh, Hamill could be a, a stabilizing force. He's not, not, not a number one or number two guy necessarily, but um, for what you need on this team, it's just some stable quality guys who can eat some innings. Julio Tehran is, is around, but you need more than that um, in the rotation. And Hamill could be a very, very solid option who's more attractive than guys like Ivan Nova or Jeremy Helkson and some of the guys that we've talked about a number of times on the podcast. With that, there was one piece of Braves news, I put news in quotation marks this week, and that is uh, that top prospect Ryan Weber is no longer a member of the Atlanta Braves organization. Uh, I was told by some people that we should have a moment of silence for Ryan Weber. I won't won't, won't do just that, but uh, Weber is, you know, I kind of feel bad. We've kind of made fun, uh, or always poked fun at Weber because of the fact that he was listed so high on a certain prospect ranking about a year or two ago. Um, But Weber, you know, has been a reasonable prospect for the Braves for a number of years now. He's 26 years old. He he does have a career ERA over five and 64 innings of major league work, but that's that's a pretty small sample size. Uh, Weber does not have a, not, not, not super high end talent or, you know, strikeout stuff, but, um, you know, a guy who probably could be a major leaguer if, if nothing else could be a a swing starter, that kind of guy. He's been lost in the shuffle, um, and with good reason, given the infl- the influx of all these talented arms in the Brave system recently. But Weber was claimed by the Marlins. He, I mean, by the Marlins. Sorry, by the Mariners, and uh, he will be spending his near future in Seattle. And uh, you know, a lot of the uh, the top prospect Ryan Weber jokes will have to go away for now. But we'd certainly wish him the best in Seattle. Uh, another guy uh, who made some waves uh, this week on the free agent market is Joanna Suspetis. I got a ton of questions on this, so I didn't even even bother to pick one. Um, But Suspedes opted out of his contract with the Mets, making himself a free agent. A ton of people asked me about that, if the Braves would get in on the bidding for Suspedes. Uh, people like Dave O'Brien have already poured water on that idea, on, on that idea, and with good reason. I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the Braves. He's not a very good defensive player, and does have does have real power and a great arm. But he's already 31 years old, and I think he's, he's going to be commanding a massive salary. It'd be nice to have his bat in any lineup, I would say, because Suspense has really mashed the ball the last couple of seasons, especially, of course, during the 2015 season where he basically put the Mets on his back and carried them into the playoffs. Uh, suspense is an intriguing and a fun player, but not a guy who I, don't, who I think is going to be landing with the Braves anytime soon, so I wanted to go ahead and get in front of that one. Uh, this week, Mark Bowman of MLB.com, our favorite Braves beat writer, or at least the guy we talk about probably the most on this show. Um, had a mailbag, that I thought had a, a number of interesting things in it that I wanted to hit on. Um, as we talked about before with the, with the pitching market, Um, Bowman mentioned a few guys that uh, could be interesting candidates for the Braves who the Braves could be probably having an eye on here. Um, He mentioned R.A. Dickey, who we talked about on last week's show, Doug Pfister, and, of course, Rich Hill, who we've already mentioned as candidates. He also mentions Bartolo Colon, who we've had a lot of fun talking about with Carlos and others. But I think uh, from what Bowman says, he's expecting Colon to stay with the Mets, which is not a surprise. He's been there for quite a while now and seems to enjoy himself in New York. Um, that does bring on the Jason Hamill discussion as well. I would be interested to know, uh, or at least what Bowman thinks about Hamill as a target. But he mentioned a few of those guys in that mid- in that middle tier range as Braves potential targets because they want to add pitching, and everybody knows it. So we're kind of left to recklessly speculate on who it's going to be. We've talked we've talked about most of these names, but worth bringing up again here. Um, Bowman also uh, poured uh, some water on the Brian McCann rumors that continue to persist because, because of the fact that the Yankees asking price is not falling um, according to multiple reports. And he also says Bowman says that Anthony Recker, uh, who, was, who finished the season as the Braves' backup catcher, could, could realistically be in line to back up Tyler Flowers this year and probably something like a, like a 70-30 split if the Braves just simply elect to go with their internal options at catcher. Um, they don't really have that next guy waiting in the wings in terms of guys who are close to the major leagues, so Wrecker is the only sort of in, internal candidate uh, aside from Flowers who, you, who we already know is going to be on the team for next year. Um, so if the Braves do not go out and get a catcher from somewhere else, whether it be trade or free agency, they could realistically roll with Decker. I mean, with Wrecker and Flowers, and that would not be the most appetizing group in the world. But you know, I, I've seen you seen, you'll probably see worse around baseball. Wrecker actually had a nice year uh, at the end of the year for the Braves, and uh, Flowers, if he can repeat what he did in 2016, would be a valuable valuable piece. Um, I thought the most interesting thing about this, and it was also backed up by Dave O'Brien of the AJC, is that um, Bowman thinks that it's likely Matt Kemp and during CR 10 at start the season for the, with the Braves as a starting outfield unless the Braves get, and I quote, blown away with an offer from Marquecas. Um He says that Malik Smith could benefit potentially from uh, some time as a fourth out for even from some more extended at-bats in Gwinnett. In Gwinnett. I'd like to see Malik's play, but again, I get it. If you don't, I almost would prefer him being Gwinnett if he's not going to be on the team as a starter, because you're almost pecking him to a career as a fourth outfielder. If he's not going to get playing time at his age, he needs to develop more if possible. So if they want to roll with the, with the three incoming outfielders, I will not be surprised and neither will Bowman and DOB on this one. But, uh, People dreaming of uh, dreaming of a different uh, of a different outfield probably are going to be dis- disappointed by all reports. As uh, looks like all three guys are going to be going to be back, and that includes Um Dave O'Brien also uh, wrote this week about uh, an interesting thing. that basically says that his the top three priorities from what he's been told by Copy and others um, in free agency are starting pitching, starting pitching, and of course starting pitching. Um, and he uh, Dob also re- reinforces that the Braves are expected to add at least. Two starting pitchers to the mix. This is again not a surprise; something we've been hearing for a while. But he was quoted and talked to Copy uh, about some things that make it seem as though as though they're not really, not really seeking uh, outfield and trade and, and that kind of and and for agency and that kind of uh, you know puts the spotlight back on pitching. Uh, maybe third base and catchers we talked about a lot, but it looks like the Braves are going to be potentially even more active in the pitching market than we even originally thought, which is saying something because we've all known for quite some time that Braves were going to be flying all over the place. When it comes to pitching, we've talked about a number of candidates there. That's basically going to do it for the news. There's a number of mailback questions, though, that I wanted to get to. And the first one comes from Matthew Beaver. Uh, he asks, is it true that Dancy Swanson will be the NL MVP next year? Uh, he's, of course, kidding on this one, but I thought it was a good uh, time to remind everyone that Swanson is probably the front runner for 2017 NL Rookie of the Year, considering that he does still qualify and just how well he played at the end of last season. He uh, posted a uh, a season total of uh, a slash line of 302, 361, 442, which was good for a 107 WRC plus in 38 games, uh, so pretty, pretty, darn, pretty darn good for a rookie. Um, he finished with nearly one, uh, one, one win over replacement in both fan graphs uh, where he finished with 08, with 0.8 and baseball reference where he was 0.9 at that level. He'd be about a three and a half win player over a full season, and that's probably going to be enough to win the NL the NL Rookie of the Year most of the time. This year, Corey Seager was a runaway winner, at least in the minds of everybody. That that, that award has not been announced yet, but it would be a shock if he didn't win it. Uh, he's the uh, sort of the exception to the rule, where he was actually like a six win player, six seven win player. Um, but normally, you know, guys who are worth three or four wins in the rookie season are few and far between. So Swanson, I think it's safe to say, is a front runner. You never know how things are going to go. He might have a struggle. Um, you know with with more information on him for the for the opposition, he could struggle a little bit more as a rookie than he did down the stretch here. But Dansby is going to be uh, on the minds of a lot of people in the rookie of the year race, and uh, while well, I don't really think he's a, he's an MVP down the line, he could have that one year where it com- where it all comes together. And shortstops, of course, a very attractive position. Uh, next question comes from Braves options guy on Twitter, which is always a great follow. If you're not following him, go out and do that. He has three questions actually. He just says, "One, does the free agent signing period start?" When do they announce award winners, and what is the non-tender deadline? I can answer these in pretty simple fashion. Free agents uh, can can begin signing on the sixth day after the World Series ends, which this year is Tuesday. Um, so you'll be listening to this probably on Monday as it posts late Sunday night. So by the time you listen to this, it could be very, very shortly between before free agents can begin to sign um so keep an eye on that uh the gm meetings which i talked about at the very very beginning of this podcast are this week so fireworks usually begin there and kind of lead into uh the winter meetings which are of course later in the process in december but uh things could start happening pretty soon here so uh, be ready for things to start flying fast and furious uh the gold glove awards are announced on tuesday uh, of this week so as you listen to this probably tomorrow uh, Silver Slugger Awards on Thursday. Um, it, it'd be a pretty, a pretty, it'd be a surprise if anybody from the Braves outside of Freddie Freeman was really a consideration for Silver Slugger. But Freeman might might get a nod there based on how good he was this year. Uh, Gold Gloves we talked about last uh, on, on the show last week with Marquez C- and Uh Hopefully Ender will be victorious. So we'll be talking about that on next week's show. Um, other award stuff is not till the following week. The Rookie of the Year award is announced next Monday, the fourteenth. Uh, Manager of the Year on the Tuesday, Cy Young on the Wednesday, and MVP on the Thursday of that week. Uh, I, I personally will be interested to see where Freddie Freeman falls in the NL MVP balloting. He's not going to win it, um, but Freeman should be certainly in the mix. I think I fi- I had him finishing in the top three by the end of the year. I hope he finishes in the top five. That, that would be worthy of what he did this season. Freeman was phenomenal. We talked about that uh, almost ad nauseum, but I hope he gets rec- recognized for how good he is and not punished because of the fact that the Braves were not so good in 2016. And uh, finally, the final answer to that question, the deadline for non-tender, um, for teams to, to tender, basically what they have to do is choose whether they want to tender guys for pre, who are pre-arbitration eligible or arbitration eligible. That deadline is December 2nd, so you have to wait for a while longer to see what happens with those guys and the Atlanta Braves. Uh, next question comes from Tim Bostic, who is, of course, a full, a almost full-time uh, questioner on the podcast, so shout-out to Tim. Uh, he asks, well, one of the pitchers, the Braves, said that they're going to be getting be as good or better than Julio Tehran. I think the smart money here would be on no. Uh, There's a couple of guys who are better or at least as good as Tehran in one case. I think it's probably better in all three cases. Uh, Chris Archer, Chris Sale, and Justin Verlander we have we talked about all three of those guys on previous shows if you want to go back and listen to our more ex- extensive breakdowns on those particular pitchers. But those are the three guys who appear to be on the market um, as as high-end starting pitchers. Also, Zach Granke has been a guy who's been bandied about. I don't think the Braves are going to be super interested in paying his salary, so I doubt that's going to happen. But aside from that and what would have to be a surprise uh, inclusion by another pitcher somewhere, uh, there's nobody in the free agent market who is as good as Tehran, really even close. We talked about that. Rich Rich Hill's ceiling is probably as high or higher than Tehran's, but his safety is nowhere near. Uh, his floor is much much lower than Tehran's is, and he's, he's also a lot older, of course. And Hamill does not really approach uh, Tehran in terms of overall quality. Uh, so again, it has to be an off the radar guy to be better than Tehran. And while I think it's at least conceivable that Braves trade for one of these high end starters. I don't think it's likely either, so I think it's less than 50% chance that the Braves end up with a pitcher better than Julio Tehran, meaning that he's going to be the best pitcher on the staff to start next season. Uh, the next question comes from at Duncan Dutchman on Twitter. He asks, what can we get from Markekis in terms of prospects or and or a proven starting pitcher? Uh, personally, I think most of our listeners know uh, what I think about Markekis, but I think a lot of people are sort of overvaluing what a player like Markekis would bring in return via trade. Uh, unless the Braves paid a pretty hefty portion of his money, which I, I think is pretty unlikely, it'd be a situation where they might get one or two middling prospects. You know, nothing better than a B prospect for Markekis because of the fact that he does not he's not really worth more than his salary. I think at $11 million per season, given what he's been in the last couple of years, he's probably worth that money. Um, but he's not getting any younger, and I don't think, guys, uh, with his skill set, uh, necessarily um, profile as someone who's going who's gonna to be, uh, be able to hold that value. Maybe he will be over, able to. It's only a two-year contract, but it's not—it's not enough of a value contract. It's not really enough of an asset to really command a big-time return in terms of a uh, in terms of prospects. If you're looking to get a more established starting pitcher back from Arcakis. Uh, you're probably looking for a guy who has a bad contract. That's probably the only way you would get a player who is useful to you this year is if you were taking on a bad salary uh i.e., what the Braves did with Matt Kemp, who's a useful player but is overpaid. It would be somebody in that mold as a pitcher. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of who that would be. And it's kind of hard to uncover a guy like that. Uh, you know, Granky would be the mold of that, but he's also too good. I think he's still a better asset on his, on his deal than Market is on his. I just can't say the Braves paying that extra money when they're already paying the extra money for Kemp in that swap with Hector Oliveira, but that's the kind of way that the Braves could look to get some value from Marquecas is to send him out with his contract and potentially take a worse one on um, maybe a longer term deal or something like that for a pitcher that somebody else does not want to pay that money to. In the end, though, I think Marquise from all 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 counts is going to probably be on the team. Copy is famous for pulling uh, pulling some quick deals, so that it wouldn't be a shock if he was moved on from at this point. But I've done a 180 here. I think the Raves are more likely to keep him now, just by on reading the tea leaves, and I think uh, part of that is because I don't think they can get much back for him on the contract that he currently has. Uh, the next question I wanted to get to uh, is from Stephen Clark. This is, this is a quick one. He says, when will Ivan get a Twitter account? Uh, Ivan the Great uh, is a member of the Talking Shop staff, and I would like to go ahead on record ni- right now and ask Ivan to get a Twitter account because this is not the first time someone's asked why he doesn't have one. So, Ivan, if you're listening to this, I think we all want to, li- I think we all want to read your musings on Twitter. So please do the-, do the people a favor, including myself, and get a Twitter account in the near future. Uh, the next one comes from Justin Easter on Twitter, and he asks, "With all the hype around Kevin Mayton I was just wondering where he might start his career." What uh, and I, I actually weighed in um, with our own Eric Cole on this one to make sure I didn't uh, have this thing messed up, but. Um, Mayton is probably going to start an extended an extended spring training. That's the place where he will certainly uh, start. As a by the way, he'll only be 17 next uh, in the spring. He turned 17 in February, according to what we know about his age. So that's kind of a staggering thing for people that might think he's uh, closer to the big leagues than not. He's only going to be 17 years old. He's still 16 at the time of this podcast, which is just pretty crazy. Um, people should certainly keep that in mind when trying to evaluate him. Um, I think he's uh, likely to report to the Gulf Coast League um, after that, as, and Eric kind of uh, co-signs that. He could end up in Danville as well. That's a possibility, but Meiton is going to be a guy who the Braves take things pretty slowly with, I think. Because of the age, he'll be the youngest player in the system when he arrives, and uh, while he his talent is off the charts, I think it's uh, – it's pretty safe to keep the uh, the hype train a little bit a little bit revved, uh, going in, maybe not reverse, but neutral in this one, where I think uh, people are already starting to speculate when he's going to arrive in the big leagues, and it's really, really tough to talk about a guy who's still 16 years old as we speak. So keep a lid on that one, and uh, when he arrives, though, we'll have plenty of coverage on TalkingChop.com. I know Eric and company are very excited to cover him on a daily basis, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, next one comes from Jacob Robinson on Twitter. He asks uh, with Jace Peterson at second and the emergence of Travis Demerit and Dylan Moore, should the Braves start Ozzy Albies at shortstop and AAA for trade value? Um, if uh, for me, if Albies is the best player in, in spring training at second base, then he should start the year at second base for the Braves. Um, if he doesn't make the club though, and that's a possibility, I think I think Peterson might be the starter opening day. I think he probably will be at this point. That's just me speculating because of the injury that Albies has had and the fact that he's not going to get a ton of work in the off season. I think Peterson's probably has the leg up right now. If Albies does not make the club, I'm in the camp. He probably should be playing shortstop in the minors um, because of the fact that I, I understood it when the Braves put him at second base alongside Swanson, when they wanted to play them together in the minor leagues this last year. But, um, Albies has his most trade value if he's playing shortstop. And if he's not in the the majors playing second base, I'm all about playing him at shortstop, getting more reps there, maybe maybe showcasing him a little bit. I don't think the transition from shortstop to second base is big enough for him to uh, only full-time play second base just to have him sort of be groomed to play that position in the majors. I think, again, I've talked about this on a previous show, my hot take is that Albies is probably more valuable to other teams than he is to the Braves because of that shortstop ability. So if he can play shortstop and play it well in the minor leagues to start the season, then that only, that only influences his trade value and his overall value in a vacuum uh, in a positive way. And then if the Braves still want want him to play second base in the major leagues at some point this season and replace Jace Peterson at that level, then go ahead and bring him up. He's played second base before. He'll, I think he'll be just fine. He might have a couple of growing pains on little, little second base specific things, but it won't be big enough for me to justify playing him at second base in the minors as a guy who could legitimately play shortstop in the major leagues down the line. Uh, last question of the day comes from Joshua Lemon on Twitter. He asks, are, third, are the third base prospects in the system far enough away to consider paying big money for four or five years to Justin Turner? Uh, Turner was uh, the third baseman for the Dodgers. We've, we brought him up on a, on a couple of previous shows, but it's been a while since we talked about Turner. Third base has been the interesting spot where the Braves uh, have a need there. There's no question about that with the Don's Garcia and potentially R- Rio Ruiz in the near future. But Ruiz is not really a superstar type of prospect. He's more of a solid guy. So the Braves could certainly use a, uh, an upgrade at that spot. Uh, Turner will be 32 years old in a couple of weeks and will start the season at 32. Doesn't really fit the profile of a free agent I'd love the Braves to sign because of the fact that if, if he's able to, if he's able to command a four or five-year contract with big money, he's probably not going to live up to that contract. That's... You know, guys who hit the free agency as late as he's hitting it now. Um, for as good as Turner has been over the last couple of seasons, and he would be a sharp upgrade. I have to say that again. The end of that contract will probably be probably be pretty ugly, considering he'll be 35, 36 years old if he's signing a four or five year deal. That's not great. Um, you know, he's been a four win, a four win player or better in each of the last two seasons, and again would be a huge upgrade. But I think it's pretty ugly in terms of a long term deal. I don't think the Braves are likely to do that given the fact that they have some guys in the system coming up. And if Ruiz is the guy that the Braves like, um, and if, even if it's in a potential platoon with Garcia, they could probably get by for a year with that, rather than paying a guy like Turner uh, too much. Because I don't think Turner's going to sign in Atlanta for a discount. I think if the Braves win a bidding war in a free agent like that, it's going to be because they overpaid, not because the, the guy just said, I want to go to Atlanta. Because it's not like the Braves are set up to win right now. As much as we are all hoping the Braves are going to be much better next year, I think that's probably realistic. I still don't think this is a team that's going to be attracting free agents based on its on the win factor, at least the win right away factor. And Turner is old enough, and a guy who's played in pennant raises, I can't imagine him taking a discount to come to Atlanta. So paying top dollar for him. I wouldn't love necessarily, but um, I think I'd rather, I'd rather spend on a guy like Jason Hamill. Uh, get, it'd be less, uh, you know, invest in the pitching a little bit more. Um, the lineup won't be great if they don't add to it, but it won't be awful either, given that Swanson is now in the picture, potentially Albies, um, Freeman doing what he did this year, you know, Matt Kemp uh, for a full season, and and for a full season, et cetera, et cetera. The lineup won't be great again, but third base is a spot where they can get by for another year and I think that they will probably end up trying to do that rather than going with a guy like Justin Turner. Um, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. I do want to take a minute to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I do not do that enough. So at the end of this show, when it's just me, it's a lot easier to talk about that. So thanks to everyone who's listening to the podcast. We've had huge growth over the 2016 season. Uh, as we start making our way towards 2017, I encourage you, though, to keep telling your friends about the podcast. Uh, we're hoping that we can be bigger and better for you for the next uh, for the next season and the rest of this offseason. Uh, if you've not subscribed to the show on iTunes or Stitcher yet, uh, I would certainly recommend doing that. Google Play, or if you want to just go to SoundCloud, where the podcast is hosted, each and every time it's up, that's just fine too. Every podcast is, of course, on TalkingChop.com with a lower write-up that I do uh, as a as sort of an outline, a listening guide to what you're going to hear in the podcast, and the and the uh, the the sound itself will be embedded in that post. So if you want to just go to the website and make it easier, make it up, sort of a one-stop shop. That's cool as well, but I definitely encourage you to stick with us during the offseason. As soon as stuff starts rolling down the hill in terms of moves to analyze, we will certainly be back. Maybe even, maybe even a couple of emergency podcasts if the Braves make big-time moves. That's something that I am uh, definitely willing and able to do. So if, uh, if the Braves end up training for Chris Archer in a couple of weeks, you'll certainly do an emergency pod to talk about that and uh, various other things throughout the offseason. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Talking Chop Podcast.